So welcome to the latest episode of the Institutional Insights podcast series from Legal in General. I'm Bea Mayle and I'm delighted to have been invited to host this episode where we'll be exploring the bulk annuity insurance pricing process. To help us learn more about the topic, subject matter experts Dave Matthews and Roshni Sakaria have joined me. So to kick off, um, please can the two of you introduce yourselves to our listeners and tell us a bit more about you and what your team do. Uh, Roshni, I'll ask you to kick us off. So hi everyone, I'm I'm Roshni. I've been at LNG for around two years now. Um, I'm an actual manager in the PRT team and essentially our team helps trustees de-risk and transfer their liabilities and provides competitive buy-in and buy-out pricing. Oh, that's great. And um, and Dave, could you uh, tell tell our listeners about yourself as well? Yeah, sure. My name's Dave Matthews. Um, I am the head of PRT Quote Production. Um, I've been with Legal in General for uh, just over six years now, and my role is is effectively managing uh, the team, which includes Roshni, who, I mean, in a nutshell, they, they take membership data and, and benefit specifications from pension schemes, and then t- they turn that into bulk annuity premiums. So my role involves um, managing that team, uh, particularly managing the resources of that team, reviewing their work, and working with the triage committee to determine what cases we're going to take on um, in the coming weeks and months. That's brilliant. Thanks both. And on that last point then, Dave, so could you talk us through that quote triage process and and tell us a bit more about what that entails? Yeah, sure. So if we think about a a typical week, um, our team will be having lots of different calls or email exchanges with um, EBCs about the different cases that, um, that are approaching the market. So pension schemes that have approached them with a view to doing a buy-in or a buy-out. And we have a meeting on Wednesday um, where all of those people who are in those discussions with EBCs um, bring together all those opportunities. And as a group, we discuss the merits of each case and we make a decision on whether we'd like to quote or not. And more often than not, we we like to quote on uh, new business cases. It's it's not very common that we don't like to quote uh, from the offset. Um, so, it, in some ways, that's that's the easy part of the triage discussion. That the more challenging part of the triage discussion is when we think about how it fits with the resource that we have available to us. So, you know, my in my previous role, I I was part of a team of two hundred people. Um, in, in my current role, I manage a team of about 35 and it's, you know, it's still quite a small team and we need to think about how those resourcing decisions, those triage decisions work in the context of, of resourcing. So if you think about what my team does, we are effectively valuing pension schemes from a standing start. So we don't know anything about the membership data or the benefits until they come in. So we have a, a huge amount of work to do in terms of setting up the uh, the benefit specification in our systems and setting up the data in our systems. Um, and that can be quite time consuming 
Um, so we need to think about that and we need to think about that in the context of everything else that's going on as well. We have lots of quotes that are kind of start um, and progress through over the course of a few weeks. But we're also dealing with the cases that have been in the system for quite some time. So uh, sometimes we get unexpected things coming through, some some cases that come back um, earlier or later than expected. And, you know, things happen that meetings get rescheduled, but you also get things coming out of the woodwork, like uh, benefit queries can sometimes lead to um, quotes not being viable because the benefits weren't exactly what was initially anticipated. So sometimes with our limited resource, we might need to ask for a few extra weeks to, to deliver on projects. Um, and that's particularly acute at certain times of the year. So um, at, at the moment we're, we're recording this in April um, and that's a particularly tricky time for us because our uh, most of our staff are actuarial students and they have a you know two three week period where they're writing exams at the moment so particularly around april and september we have have a a particular crunch in our our resource um so we have to sit and make decisions and priority calls um and you know that's based on resource and and sometimes that's based on um how competitive our pricing might be at that moment in time it might depend on how good the data is um, and and sometimes those decisions might depend on a factor that's outside of the trustees control. So to give you an example of that, um, towards the end of the year, um, we have you know particular targets that we might look to meet, and some of those targets might uh, might mean that we would prefer a buy-in transaction. Uh, a retiree-only transaction, for example, and sometimes we might prefer a full scheme transaction because that fits um, the metrics that we're trying to hit a little bit better. So that that's kind of our, our triage process in a nutshell. That's all very interesting. So once once we've taken a case through that triage process and we've decided that yes, we do want to quote and that data in the Benspec have landed, like you mentioned, um, I wonder, Roshan, if you could tell us a bit more about what happens next. So an overview of that um, quote process um, uh, that, that we at Legal in General undertake um, and how long the typical quote process um, can take. Um, I'd say the quote process usually takes around six to eight weeks um, working from triage to pricing and, and getting that getting that price out. Um, after the triage process that Dave described um, and once like resources allocated, a team is specifically designed to to model those benefits that um, have been provided in benefit specification and look at the data um, provided by the EBCs. And when you know when we look at this modeling, we think about what the benefits payable are and how we expect them to be payable in the future. Um, we consider things like future inflation. We look at like scheme mortality. Um, and we also have like lots of other sub teams that get involved in in helping us model and analyze this data. Um, for example, we'd have like the longevity team that will help us look at the scheme experience and provide us advice on like specific mortality assumptions that we should be modeling or um, 
the investments team get involved um, and help provide like an optimum asset strategy strategy to match um, the liability cash flows produced. Um, we also like engage with reinsurers to understand what kind of longevity insurance we can we can incorporate, um, as well as our transitions team that provide us details of how the scheme will actually be administ administered in practice. So a lot of teams get involved. There's you know there's a core team that is pricing, but there's lots of input from different teams helping us get to that optimum price. And throughout this whole quote process, we'll we'll be in constant contact with EBCs to ensure like the benefits and the data being interpreted correctly. Um, and we bring this all sort of together um, to provide a buy-in and a buyout price. Uh, oh, that all makes sense. Thank you. Um, so I suppose my next question is what what are the main factors that will influence the price that you then send across to the EBC after all of those internal conversations. Um, Dave, I think you're taking that one. Yeah, so I, I know my colleague Matt Nelms from from our team uh, spoke about this on an, on an earlier episode of the podcast, so I'll, I'll try and avoid um, duplicating exactly what he said. Um, I mean, the, the, the two really key things from my perspective anyway, um, assets are really key we have a specialist we have a number of specialist teams actually who are looking into specifically assets that support our pricing um so they're looking at what's available in the market and you know whether they think that might be beneficial to to our pricing or not whether they can um whether those uh returns on those assets are matching adjustment eligible or not um so assets are one side of the equation. Um, as Roshni said, the longevity reinsurance market is another. And again, we have a team that, that specialise in this and discuss um, specific transactions with the reinsurance market. They'll assess their uh, appetite, willingness to participate in processes and get a sense of, of what pricing might, might look like. Um, but I think it's important not to forget the smaller things. So membership data, um, you know, I think insurers repeat this until until everyone's sick of hearing about it. But it is really important that the cleaner and the more complete your membership data is, um, the better. So it can uh, sometimes make a difference in terms of that triage process as to whether we will quote on a transaction or not. Um, but also the fewer assumptions that we have to make about things like the spice data, the better. Um, and another thing that, that Roshni um, mentioned was experience data. Uh, it, it's really important not to forget about that. Um, that's something that uh, us and the uh, reinsurers are very keen to see um, if there's a, a reasonable number of deaths in the scheme. So make sure that that data is um, is provided to us in the first place, but also that it's it's complete and that it's as accurate as possible, um, because the the better a view of the scheme's longevity that uh, we can see, um, the more likely that uh, there could be some kind of levels of prudence shaved off in in the pricing. And one final thing, just to to talk about, is that time can be a really helpful factor. So. We appreciate that um, 
there are lots of transactions that are very heavily time focused, uh, some of which might be related to M&A activity and things like that. But giving insurers the space to fully digest, um, particularly things like experience data, where you've got um, very tricky modeling that needs to happen on your pension benefits. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, time to consider what um, what assets the scheme might have and how that might work with the transaction, uh, that can all be, be really helpful as well. So, um, yeah, I think they're the, the main factors. That's great. Thanks, Dave. Um, and building on, on some of those comments, are there any other steps that trustees can take to achieve the best outcome for their pension scheme when it comes to, um, to pricing and beyond? I think here it's, it's definitely about just getting happy with the benefit specification and the data. You know, when trustees have reviewed and, and approved the benefits and the data, it makes the whole process a lot smoother. And also just engage with the insurers early to understand, you know, what we require in terms of, you know, specifics for the data and, and what market is looking like and what our capacity is looking like. Um, as Dave mentioned, you know, there are times where we're strapped with resource, but um, if we've sort of, you know, gone through that triage process early, we can we can manage our resource around quotes coming in and and be able to provide a price like uh, in a timely manner. Yeah, the just to add to that, B, um, the other things I'd say, first of all, the importance of project management and and effective project management. So set realistic timescales. Um, for the different stages of process, but make sure those timescales will be hit. Um, and, you know, a lot of the times you might have delays in administrators providing data um, when a scheme is already set up uh, a, a trustee meeting and, you know, crunching the time available to an insurer um, might not lead to the less, best price overall in the process. Um, so, Excellent project management is key. Um, the kind of the best processes that I think I've seen have tended to involve subcommittees rather than full trustee boards in the process. So trustee boards should think about delegating to uh, subcommittees and those subcommittees trying to be as flexible as possible. Um, you know, one of one of the things that we've seen in the last couple of years with the emergence of more working from home, more remote working is an, an increase in the number of meetings that happen over, you know, Microsoft Teams or Zoom, for example. So try and make the most of that technology when um, you're uh, using your your committees. Um, and the other thing that I'd, I'd say is involve your administrators much more heavily in the process. So I think Administration teams are really the unsung heroes of the pensions industry. They have have a huge amount of work to do, um, particularly over COVID. I think they were probably less equipped to work from home, but also had a huge amount of um, extra claims coming through on their, um, sadly, on their on their uh, schemes. But they have such a wealth of knowledge and information. And they're so heavily involved at all stages of this process, but they're very rarely kind of actively included in this process. So I'd encourage pension scheme trustees to 
think about getting someone from their administration team involved in a process at, at an early stage and throughout that process. Um, someone who can take ownership of delivering that membership data and responding to queries and then on the other side when a transaction is happening um, that they are hugely involved in that transition of administration and you know getting getting them involved as insurers get up to speed on the requirements of the scheme. So once a quote has landed um, with the trustee um, and their advisors, um, I understand that they can have the option to enter into a price lock. Um, could you tell us a bit more, we'll kind of explain what a price lock is, how that can work in practice um, so that we get a bit more colour on sort of the journey once um, once the premium's gone out the door. Sure. So let, let's think about the end of that buy-in process. So the trustees run its process, it's gone through its selection process, it's assessed insurers against their brand, their ESG credentials, their administration, their customer services, and they've picked the best insurer for their members. Um, but once they've done that, more often than not, there's not a fixed contract in place. Actually, that's quite different compared to other PRT markets in the world. Um, but maybe that's a potential topic for another podcast, be about the merits of, of that. Um, so there is a period of contract negotiation in a UK PRT transaction between two sets of lawyers. And typically that negotiation can last four weeks. And all that time, market conditions can be moving around sometimes quite significantly as we've seen you know through the covid pandemic um through the the russian invasion of ukraine and and other points throughout the last you know 10 15 years you think of of um the the immediate aftermath of, of brexit and the immediate aftermath of uh, donald trump's election in the us those periods of market volatility can sometimes benefit pricing can sometimes worsen pricing but a pension scheme is going to really want that certainty so that if those market conditions move around, the affordability doesn't move away from the scheme. So an insurer can typically offer to lock to the price of a portfolio of assets. So let's say for an example, a scheme's got a buyout and the scheme is sitting on um, a portfolio that's 100% gilts, for example. So an insurer would obviously need to know and understand what those gilts are. So um, how much they have, um, whether they're linked or just fixed uh, gilts, what their durations are and what their coupon payments are. And once an insurer has digested that information, um, both sides can agree a subset of those gilts and they would agree to tie the price of the transaction to any changes in the value of those gilts. So instead of the price moving in line with market conditions, it moves in line with the scheme's assets and that delivers that price certainty at the end. So once the lawyers have been through their negotiations, that the price at the end of that process might not be known but at least there is certainty that it has moved in line with the scheme's assets and the scheme is not going to find itself out of pocket. Um, 
and there are kind of other things that pension schemes can do to create a level of price certainty they might not they might not lock exactly to the portfolio that they hold and they might lock to a, a different portfolio that could be agreed between the insurer and the pension scheme so the other thing that a pension scheme might do is it might um, lock to a, a price tracking formula so um, legal in general might provide a price tracking formula so that the price in that period of exclusivity can move in line with known published market indices um, over that period of exclusivity. So uh, at, at any point at any day, the trustee knows what the price would be by, you know, their advisors can log on to Bloomberg, for example, and have a look at the yields that are specified in the in the formula and they could determine what the price would be. So it, it helps to give the trustees comfort that the price is moving in a in a predictable way and, and will generally move in line with um, changes in uh, in the risk free uh, assets and in line with corporate bond spreads um, to the extent that that mirrors the, the pricing uh, that the insurer has put forward. And in terms of capturing market opportunities, so you commented there that um, that the cost of a particular transaction might might change with um, underlying market conditions and credit spreads, etc. Um, more broadly, I suppose, outside of the price lock, are there any solutions that um, that trustees or, or pension schemes can can use to capture pricing opportunities that might be kind of market or time of year dependent? I think it's it's definitely about being prepared here and engaging with insurers early. Um, you know, we've we've mentioned throughout this having having good quality data and having the governance in place so that quick decisions could be made um, just sort of streamlines that process and you know reduces that time that lawyers might need to take to negotiate when there's been you know conversations early enough in the process um, and sort of just liaising with insurers about timescales and when things are expected and, and sticking to those deadlines um, as much as possible so that there's limited you know there's a limited period where between where um, where there can be like market condition changes etc there are also options where LNG can help um, schemes de-risk um, just their longe longevity or investment related risks as an interim to buyouts and buy-ins, um, like through our insured self-sufficiency solutions or our assured payment policy option, um, details of which can be found on our website, but they sort of act as an interim to full buy-in and buy-out quotes. And I, I guess, Roshni, as well, we've got things like deferred premiums potentially um, so where a scheme might not be 100% um, there in terms of the assets to uh, to go to buy in or buy out and the thing that might be stopping them is potentially an illiquid asset that needs to be sold um, so there are ways through deferred premium to potentially uh, lock into those pricing opportunities when they arise without potentially having to sell an illiquid asset at a particularly um, 
for time from the trustees perspective. And is there anything available to schemes where they might say transact a partial buy-in and then want to do more as and when market market conditions are such that that would be um, affordable? Um, is there anything that, that trustees have available to them to facilitate that? Yeah, sure. There's there's options for um, trustees to sort of select specific membership um, of the full um, sort of membership set and transact those uh, like, you know, 50% of the members first and then 50% like a year later. Yeah. And a lot of schemes that have done that have tended to do that through an umbrella contract. So you agree a contract up front, um, which the intention would be that if you want to come along in six months, a year, five years to uh, transact the rest of your population, um, then a lot of the negotiation on terms will have been done up front. So that works particularly well for schemes that are obviously very well prepared to transact. Um, and kind of at, in, in some sometimes can turn around pricing particularly quickly because they have a very set objective in terms of what pricing level they want to trade at um, and if they work exclusively with an insurer and that insurer has already umbrella terms in place then transactions can turn around very quickly indeed. So question um, for you Dave, so what's your view on the pricing outlook for pension schemes thinking about approaching the market in the year ahead? Yeah, so I mean the market is very busy and very competitive um, and you know I think last year was, was probably the most competitive uh, we've seen it and, and it certainly hasn't got any less competitive this year and um, insurers are as keen as ever to write business um, and I think a, a lot of schemes looking at their funding levels over the course of this year might have seen an improvement um, so schemes might be in a slightly better position now than they were at the start of this year um, my main piece of advice is don't leave things too late um, you know it, it's important to get everything uh, ready and prepared um, but you know certainly the, the more notice that insurers have that a pension scheme might be approaching the market um, the better so you know springing stuff on us as a surprise uh, isn't ideal if if we can have notice as you're kind of getting your benefits specification and data together that's really helpful and just allows us to plan that little bit better um, as part of the process no, that preparedness has certainly been a, a key theme, I think, throughout our questions and, and your guys' answers from that initial stage of the data and benefits all the way through to when the admin's being transferred over and um, the involvedness that you've had there and, and how that can actually facilitate the transfer across to legal in general. So Dave and Roshni, thank you so much um, for joining me today. That was a really interesting um, look at the sort of front-to-end pricing process. Um, sure. so thank you, thank you. Thanks for having us. Um, hopefully we've given some tips to trustees and EBCs um, to bring us bring some schemes to the market. Absolutely. Thank you. 
Um, and just as a reminder to all of our listeners, um, the podcast um, is available to subscribe to um, whatever your usual podcast service is. So please do um, hit the subscribe button um, if you're interested in, in hearing more from us at LGRI. Thank you so much. Thank you.